0: the power of their data wasabi another Boston based championship team. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24 7 non stop destination for A's baseball. Go to slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. It's now time for A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. From amazing stories to colorful personalities, join us as we go in-depth with the men and women that make up the Oakland Athletics organization. It all starts right now.
1: Welcome to another edition of A's Unfiltered with Chris Towns. And what do we have for you? Well, we've got a Hall of Famer, Frank Thomas. We got Jared Parker, former Oakland Athletics. Susan Slesser, A's insider from the San Francisco Chronicle. And Rob Arthur to talk about the baseball. The difference between the baseball in the regular season and the postseason, as he writes, for Baseball Prospectus. Whenever you get a chance to catch up with the Big Hurt, who now is working for Fox, Uh, It's always a lot of fun because what a special player he was. What a great A he was. And he's going to talk to you about how much fun he had playing in Oakland. A two-time MVP in 1993 and 1994. A five-time All-Star. Four-time Silver Slugger Award winner. An American League batting champion in 1997. His number 35 is retired with the Chicago White Sox. He was... Inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame in 2014 on the first ballot with 83.7%. Here is my conversation with the great Frank Thomas. But the Big Herd is a two-time MVP, you think about the greatness of his career, a Hall of Famer, and we always look back here with the A's, how special 2006, how special that run was, and how special... Frank put that team on his back, and we'll always look back at 06 as a phenomenal year. And, of course, you watch him on FS1. Frank, Chris Townsend with the Oakland Athletics, it's great to have you on the show again.
2: Thanks for having me, Chris. I hope all is well out there in the Bay Area.
1: Yeah, I, I hate the fact that we have rain to rain. We've been having a lot of fun <laughs> watching you guys, and what a great series this has been.
2: Well, you're on the East Coast here. It is really ugly here today. It's a monsoon-type weather. It's really nasty, and uh, you're right. Putting a series on hold uh, totally changes the whole complexion of the series.
1: Yeah, because now the Yankees are going to have to beat the Astros three out of four in four straight days, and three of the guys going, Frank, Granke, Verlander, and Cole, that's no day at the beach.
2: Not at all. And uh, now uh, Houston gets to set their rotation with Grinke and and Verlander back-to-back here in New York. And if there's a game six, there's a possibility it could be Gary Cole again.
1: You know, Frank, the one difference that you see dramatically with the Nationals and you see it with the Astros is they're doing what all these other teams aren't. Their starters are giving them length, and then that means less outs that the bullpen has to get. We've talked so much about how bullpens are, but we're seeing once again good starting pitching always wins.
2: You're right, and they're both two two teams that are blessed with three excellent starting pitchers, and uh, they're definitely getting that linked into the bullpen, uh, something that the Yankees can't do right now and the majority of the whole league can't do. So uh, you're right. It looks like it could be a crash course with the, Yan- I mean, with the uh, Astros and the Nationals in the World Series, but we'll see how this play out because the Yankees are so tough at home. Anything can happen.
1: You know, I was thinking about you guys and the great job you've been doing because all three of you guys, I mean – You're three of the great sluggers in the history of the game, but you guys understand that how you play baseball in the postseason is different from the regular season, and here we go in that first inning yesterday. You get the first two guys on, and you don't bunt, and then next thing you know, the Yankees don't get a run, and you guys talked about that earlier in the Atlanta-St. Louis series. I mean, you guys understand analytics means something, and it means a lot. But there's certain times you should play small ball in the postseason, and you guys are three sluggers, and you've been talking about that a lot. You've been talking a lot about that here in the postseason on FS1.
2: I uh, I look at it like this: analytics gets you here on uh, the 162 game schedule, but when you get to the October baseball, when you're facing the top starters in the game, you have to be able to play small ball and do the little things to advance. There has to be bunting. There has to be hitting running. You have to steal a few bases. You have to put pressure on other team. You can't sit back and wait on the big home run or the base hit every time. That's just what it is.
1: And in this series, you know, we're probably going to see two bull p- bullpen guys opening up today. But now with the rain out, how weird will it be? Potentially in game six, the first game back in Houston, having two bullpen guys start the game.
2: Yeah, that'd be pretty weird. But uh, most people think the Houston has the advantage of the start pitching now. But here in New York, I mean, this place was bonkers last night. You could tell the Yankees were feeding off of it. I mean, they gave Gary Cole uh, a run yesterday. He didn't dominate like he had the last three starts because of his atmosphere in New York. But the Yankees got to be heavily dependent on their bullpen, and their hitters have has got to come out to play for the next four days. But the day off could change momentum. You just never know what could happen.
1: Yeah, when you start looking at the Yankees and, and, and their wins, a three against the Twins in the first against the Astros in this series, they scored thirty runs in thirty-four innings. But then in the last couple losses, they haven't scored any. What are you seeing with the Yankees offense? Why can't they put any runs uh, on the board?
2: Well, great pitching slows down great hitting. And if you look at the Yankees lineup, they're they're heavily right handed. And uh Astros have dominant right hand starting pitching, dominant people out of the bullpen, right handers. Uh, they've slowed them down tremendously, but they haven't stopped them. So I'm looking for the Yankees to come back with fire tomorrow night. I think they can, they're going to pull game three tomorrow. I mean, game four tomorrow night for how some much, reason.
1: How much fun are you having with, with Big Poppy and A Rod on the set? Because from a viewer standpoint, it looks like you guys are having a blast.
2: We're having a lot of fun. And, you know, Poppy is a jokester, a trickster, so you got to be careful with him. You know, I'm sure you saw the prank he pulled on me last week with Tito's vodka in my water bottle. (laughs) I mean, I'm like, that was something I didn't expect at all. And it just, they had a field day with it. But, man, did it taste awful. I was so shocked because I go to that studio for six straight months doing the whip around, and I never have a problem with my water bottle. So, yeah, it was a problem.
1: (laughs) And then then you're smoking cigars on the set?
2: Well, leave it to Poppy. You know, he's he's a good guy, and uh, he likes to have fun. We all like to have fun, so. We bust each other chops quite a bit.
1: You know, we think about 2006 all the time and we reference you all the time uh, uh, of what a year that was for you. You know that year got off to a little bit of a slow start, then you went back to Chicago, take down the White Sox, you knock a few out of the ballpark, and then after there you were hell on wheels, and you carried the A's to the post season. It's the last time they've actually won a series in two thousand and six. I know that year meant so much to a's fans, and I know that year meant so much to you.
2: Yes, it did. It was a comeback year for me. it was my favorite year in all my whole career in baseball uh The Bay Bay Area opened arms with me out there and uh, started off slow, but then I I took it personally and uh, got locked in and had a great time. I've always loved to hit the Coliseum, and uh, I mean, the rest is history. We just had an incredible year with a lot of great young talent, and I wish we could have stayed together for a couple years, because I really think we could have
0: gotten to the finish line.
1: And I think about the atmosphere that, that allows you to be you and it doesn't matter who you are, you come into that clubhouse, there's just a lot of love, everybody gets along, yeah. and I, I know that meant something to you also.
2: Yeah, it didn't feel like a job coming to, coming to play baseball that year. All the, you know, big city pressure was not there. It was more the atmosphere of the A's, and you see them continue to win because of that. They know how to have fun, they know how to, to get the families involved, they know how to just have that great atmosphere to play baseball and have a good time doing it.
1: You know, the last two years, Frank, the A's have won 97 games, and it's only got them into a wild-card game. How crazy is
2: that? It's really crazy, but you look at the Astros, they're winning 107, you know. Uh, It's just a great time in that division, Uh, but the the Oakland A's put fear in everybody. I've been watching it for years now with the uh, whip around every week. Uh, Pitching, defense, great bullpen can slow down a lot of great teams, especially the ones with the big resources, with all the big bats, so uh, Oakland's really, really close. I really thought this year would be the, the year they got through the wild card. It didn't happen, but uh, they got to be proud of what they've accomplished the last couple of years.
1: So going into spring training next year, they really are going to be loaded. They're going to have a ton of pitching. They're going to have a ton of talent. If you could give the A's, these players, some advice about getting over the hump, what would you say to next year's A's, like, in spring training?
2: i tell you what. I mean, it's World Series a Bust. I mean, they got to have that feeling inside because they're so extremely talented. They can hit, they can pitch, they can play defense, they can do it all. So, And they got real stars on that team now. So I'm uh, looking forward to them to really break through soon. They might have to pay for one big starter, and uh, that's what it might might take to get them over the top.
1: Now, a lot of people know you played a long time in baseball, 19 years, so you're going to have a lot of injuries. But then people forget that you played football, a little War Eagle, for the University of Auburn. So so you've had it rough over your career times. and, <laughs> and, and, you, and you, yes, I have. And you've got a new pain cream out there, ecoscience.com. Tell us what you have going.
2: It's called Ecoderm. Uh, pain cream, Big hurt pain cream. Uh, these guys approached me about 18 months ago, uh, put me on a trial to, to check out what they were developing. It's uh, the top-of-the-line pain cream plus CBD. And uh, most people don't know the effects of CBDs because it has a negative connotation out there. Uh, education is coming. I'm happy to put my face on it. I'm 100% behind it. It's an incredible product. And trust me, it really, really works because I was hopping in for my seventh surgery and I started using this cream. And now I'm, I'm running around pain-free, running around like I was 15 years ago. So I'm excited about this product. It's a really clean-driven product and it helps everyone. It's not just for sports, it's for everyone. Uh, I've even used it on my uh, 10-year-old who plays a lot of sports now, and he's had a sore ankle, so uh, it's helped him tremendously. So I'm really excited about this product. I want people to check us out, Ecoscience.com, Ecoderm Big Hurt Pain Cream.
1: You know, I I like that you're doing that, Hurt, because I also work for uh, the Oakland Raiders, and we see a lot of the old Raiders coming around and how banged up these guys are after playing pro football their entire life. And whether you're a weekend warrior or you're a former NFL guy or former Major League Baseball player, I'm 47 years old, Frank, as a former baseball player myself in college. My body doesn't feel like it used to. So I'm glad you're doing something for, for us that, that, that we can use and, well, hey, and then that's healthy.
2: I'm 51 now. You know, I'm 51 now, and i got a lot of residual pain from all these sports. But uh, this stuff is really, really helped. I can tell you that right now. I'm walking around pain-free, and I'm laughing right now. I, I feel better at 51 than I did at 41. <laughs> I can be really honest about that. So uh, this product has been developed right. These scientists are great that I hooked up with. Uh, they've explained everything, and they took me through this whole, this whole process. You know, they helped me, you know, help with the uh, coolness, the hotness, the, uh, the smell, the everything. So I was a guinea pig here for this product, and I'm really proud of it because it came out tremendously successful. Do you still have your beer going? No, no. I let that go years ago, like 2012. Uh, but this is something that I really wanted to do because I wanted to give back to all the players. And I'm, I'm looking forward to getting this in the hands of all the ex NFL guys and guys with a lot of residual pain because they're going to love it.
1: Yeah, and especially since it's healthy.
2: And it's, free, and it's free samples on the site. So tell guys to go out and uh, check us out, ecosciences.com. We are giving samples. We're not just going to talk this great. We're going to show you. And we are, we're definitely giving away free samples. Big Hurt, we're
1: watching you on FS1. Can't wait for the World Series. Keep doing a great job, and we'll talk to you in the offseason. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Ah, the Big Hurt, good guy. I like watching him on TV, too. And I love what he says, that back in the day, 2006, was his favorite year. Think about that. All those great years with the White Sox, but his favorite year in baseball was with the Oakland Athletics. Jared Parker. Jared Parker is a sad story. The elbow injuries, Tommy John surgery, breaking his arm, and not being able to fulfill what could have been a great career. But he pitched some big games for the A's in the postseason, 2012-2013, and now is in Nashville helping athletes, just not pitchers, but athletes of different sports. Here is former athletic Jared Parker. Great to have Jared Parker back on the program. Jared, it's been a long time since we talked. How are you?
3: What's up, Chris? I'm doing well.
1: Uh, you know, I, I, I we hear about Parker's sports performance in Nashville. Tell us what you're doing now.
3: Yeah, I mean, uh, opened up a sports performance center a little over a year ago and uh, specialized, obviously, in baseball, but we do – you know, full workout, full turf facility, kind of one stop shop for sports training is the idea.
1: Well, no, that's it. So you work with more than just baseball players. Tell us about how you do more, what kind of athletes, other than because we know what you can do with baseball players. Tell us about the other athletes.
3: Yeah, I mean, we, like I said, we have kids. We work with kids from eight to, I mean, even I have, you know, 28 year old free agents and major leaguers, but also we, You know, we have football kids in that do speed and agility. We also have some programs that are bringing some groups in from the city, inner cities that aren't, you know, don't have the opportunity to get these kind of work and teaching tools in. And so we kind of just opened our doors to, you know, doing what we can to teach and learn and also just give everybody the same opportunity.
1: How important was it for you to stay in sports when you knew you were going to retire or, or after you retired?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think it, it, was, it was an easy decision. I, I mean, it was right in my lane and kind of what I'm accustomed to. I think it, it just took a little time leaving baseball to really jump back into baseball and be as passionate as I was at that level. And now I've kind of found a little bit different of an angle to, to be as committed.
1: You know, because I th- I, you know, if anybody knows about the rehab process and how tough and grueling it can be and, and setbacks, you know it how much are you able to help these young athletes that are coming to you? I'm sure not all are, are, are coming back from an injury, but how much are you able to help them? Not only from the physical side, but probably maybe the most important, the mental side.
3: Yeah. I mean, I think those six inches between the ears are, are a big face, a big problem that kids face these days with, you know, learning how to fail in baseball and bounce back. And, you know, I think I've, like you mentioned, done that a few times with coming out of injuries and coming through some of that. So that's just one of our things, you know, we like to keep it fun, keep it light and also just, you know, teach and develop the kids, you know, as humans as well. It's not, you know, like we always tell them and I'm probably a very good example. You're going to be a human and a, a person a lot longer than an athlete or a baseball player.
1: So when we start talking about athletics and we start talking, let's go baseball wise, how just really with technology, the game has changed and it just it just keeps changing in front of our eyes, how we teach pitching and what we're doing with the different radar systems and the high tech cameras. How have you watched this game evolve since you were just in the game not too long ago?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's like we were – or I was kind of a part of the evolution and going through it, and I didn't really see it, you know, as, as big as it is and how, how much it's changed in terms of, you know, analytics and spin rates and ultimately just more video. And I think there's just a lot of other technology that we're finally getting into the game that, you know, we've been missing in terms of, you know, using different uh, workout uh, devices and different ways to use your lower half and get the most out of what you got while remaining healthy. So I think we're finally catching up to some of these injuries, or at least hoping to, and prevent them.
1: Yeah, because I think of whether it's it's Tommy John surgery or, or, or your rotator cuff. Anytime you go under the knife, you never know. You think we're getting closer to being able to really prevent these type of injuries with these young pitchers who now more than ever are such max velocity guys?
3: Yeah, that's the challenge, I think, is, you know, everybody's chasing the velo or chasing the home run is, and you know, we we know how to to you know, not necessarily prevent it, but, you know, to aid and, uh, you know, kind of padding the system a little bit and giving these guys as many, you know, tools and techniques that they can take and learn, you know, from experience and from knowledge and from a lot of other people that are a lot smarter than I am that, you know, are associated and a part of these kind of processes.
1: You know, I just had one of your old teammates on Johnny Gomes and we were talking about two thousand and twelve and I remember that season where you went to Sacramento and you didn't go with us to Japan. You were not very happy about that. And then you came back and you were just on fire. And a lot of people forget you were the Game 1 and Game 5 starter against Justin Verlander in the 2012 ALDS. You think about that. You were going toe-to-toe with a guy who's going to be a future Hall of Famer. What a special year that was for the team. What a special year that was for you.
3: Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, I look back on that opportunity and I don't even – I don't even think about the outcome, you know, as sour as it is to lose. We all get over it. But just to have the opportunity and be a part of something special and, you know, get a chance to go to the postseason in any sport or professional is a challenge. And, you know, I look back and think how blessed I am and how fast it went, you know, how quick the game moved. And now trying to teach it at that slower pace and slow things down for guys is, is it's a lot of fun, really.
1: I mean, how crazy it to think that not one minute of that season did you lead the division until that very last out. I mean, it's unbelievable.
3: Yeah, no, we uh, we actually. I have Julio Bourbon that comes in and helps me, and he always, you know, he was a Texas guy and was Texas at the time, so he, he remembers that, and I remind him occasionally. <laughs>
1: yeah, and then, and then of course another very strong year that you had in 2013.
3: Excuse
1: me? Then you can't. You followed that up with a very strong season in 2013.
3: Yeah, the following year, you know, I started a little slow. Could have possibly been a you know sophomore slump or just a carryover from a huge, long workload that I'd never been through, and you know it took me some time, but kind of got my feet under me, and that was one of those another magical run we went on, and just you know nobody expected it, and we kind of just did what we did. You know
1: if you could give advice to a young pitcher who has hurt his elbow what would be the number one thing you number one thing advice you would give to to a young pitcher
3: Stay happy you know relax and understand that there's been a lot of guys that have come through this and have done it you know and come back and I think the the tunnel and light is always going to get larger as you get closer to coming back you know from a procedure or a rehab and there's just a lot of monotony that guys can fall into, and it's just staying, staying happy, staying fresh, and ultimately having good vibes when you're healing. I think is a big key.
1: Nathan Patterson, you've worked out with him. He's the mystery guy that lights up the radar <laughs> gun. What? What? Tell us about Nathan Patterson.
3: Yeah, I got Nathan Patterson in here now too. He's starting back. Uh, he's a he's a great kid, man. He's high energy. Uh, He's got a few nicknames around here between speed pitch and, you know, fastball and carnival throw and all that. But <laughs> all of that aside, I mean, the kid has got a, a work ethic that's, you know, what it takes. He's a very smart kid. We we threw a ton at him, you know, not that he'd ever pitched in pro ball and all that. You know, we threw as much as we could and hoped it stuck. So when you
1: look at him, do you really believe – that he could pitch at this level?
3: I do. I mean, I think that's the, is the key is just he has to believe it as well. I mean, stuff-wise, it's there. It's just, you know, I think we all know once the levels get further and further, the, the game gets more intricate and just it becomes more of a chess match than getting away with just raw stuff. So that's going to be a big learning curve for him is, you know, just getting his feet wet and gaining experience.
1: Does he really throw that hard?
3: Yeah, he does. <laughs> he's uh, he's fun to play catch with because it's very easy and clean and smooth. So he makes it look good.
1: Well, you y- you were last with the Nashville Sound.
3: Is that why you ended up in Nashville? Uh, I don't think that's really the reason. It was, you know, my wife is from Chicago area. I'm from Fort Wayne, and we didn't want to go home, but decided that we'd be close enough where, you know, grandma and grandpa can help out when that time comes, and we're closer than... Arizona or you know Oakland, where where it's been in the past. So just wanted to get a fresh start somewhere, and Nashville was a pretty easy choice.
1: Yeah, I'm hearing Nashville is an absolute blast. That the nickname for Nashville is Nash Vegas. That this is the place to go and hang out. Is it? Is it? Is it that big of a party town?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think there's a few, like you said, a couple of nicknames. I think people say it's a drinking city with a music problem. so there's always people in town visiting and partying and so it's good to be busy with business and kind of keep my head down
1: well, I got to tell you, you know, the, the few years we were able to spend together with the Athletics, we always appreciate your time. You're always very good to us and uh, always loved watching you pitch. And you pitched in some very big games for the Athletics during that time. And it's great to hear that you're doing so well. And if there's ever anything that we can do to help you out, please let us know.
3: Perfect. I appreciate it. You guys have done the same and always been great to me.
1: Well, take care and you be well.
3: Yeah, thanks. You too, Chris. Have a good one.
1: You know, talking to him, I got I got real emotional. I remember seeing him. The last time we saw him at the Coliseum, I ran into him in the parking lot on his way out, and he'd lost so much weight, and you knew that his career was over. But it's glad to see that he's rebounded. He's in good spirits and has a, a career going, and he can help people because he understands. Man, if anybody understands, injuries, rehab, jared parker but always a really really good guy a lot going on with the oakland athletics after the wild card game and to get us updated on things going on with the a's offseason here is susan slusser from the san francisco chronicle susan slusser joins us here on a's cast live happy offseason susan well hello
4: cali how are
1: you well, I was just talking about, and you've seen this before, that you, you got these teams that are riding this high, and all of a sudden they clinch, and then they got to sit for a while, and, and you don't want them to lose their magic or their rhythm as they're sitting and watching. And because baseball is a sport that when you're hot, you never want to stop playing.
4: Yeah, I mean, I think we all remember, you know, the year the A's went to the ALCS, but they had to sit and wait all that time. Uh, that was not ideal, you know? They beat the Twins pretty quickly, and then they had to sit around. I don't think anybody really like you like a little bit of a rest, you don't want a lot of rest.
1: How about starting pitching? About- Just absolutely dominating when you're looking at the two teams that are probably going to go to the World Series. I mean, you, you know, we're not sure how the ALCS will, 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 will pan out, but it looks like it's probably going to go the Astros' way. I mean, when you think about it, and and so many people come in talking about bullpens, you know, it's been starting pitching that's dominating with with the Nationals and also with the Astros.
4: Yeah, I don't think that that's really a surprise. Uh, You'll remember the year that uh, Billy Bean made the trade for John Lester. His reasoning was you need dominant pitching to go deep into a postseason. And I don't think he was wrong about that. Uh, It didn't work out that season. But if you have three ace kind of guys, you're, you're obviously going to be really well set up for a series. Maybe not one game, because anything can happen one game. But for a series, yeah, you're going to be in very good shape.
1: She's the author with Ken Korak. If these walls could talk Oakland A's stories from the Oakland A's dugout, locker room, and press box, check it out. It is an, a phenomenal Read okay. Let's talk a little A's. Let's talk a little business away from the field, as uh, Phil Matier and, and everybody there. The Chronicle continues to do a great job covering this whole saga of what's going on with Jack London, uh, what's going Howard Terminal, and what's going on with the Coliseum site. Alameda County, I guess, offered a while back. They offered their half to the to Oakland, but they had to pay for that half now. I mean, obviously, the A's want to buy that half from Alameda County, I mean, this just goes round and round. Where are we, Susan?
4: Yeah, my colleague Sarah Ivani had a really interesting story. I think she found some documents through Freedom of Information Act that showed that the county actually offered the city their half first. And, you know, that's what this whole lawsuit is about, is the city of Oakland trying to get that Alameda County half. Well, they got offered it at a good rate, $78 million uh... just sort of payable upon demand and then they they basically didn't even get back to them and the A's stepped in and said we'll give you more but we're gonna have to spread it out over seventy years so it was eighty five million obviously more that essentially takes care of Alameda County's portion of all of that debt that they're still paying down from the Raiders and the Warriors Note, note that the A's have never really been part of all of that debt and here they are offering essentially money that's going to go toward paying it off Alameda County says they want out of the sports uh, you know site business and this was a way to do it and now now the city which had a chance to buy them out is like no you can't we're gonna sue so I don't I don't really get it some of the stipulation with that agreement with Alameda County between the A's and Alameda County that I thought was the most interesting was that it stipulated that the A's have to remain in Oakland So I think if you're an Oakland A's fan or just a fan of Oakland sports in general and would like to see at least one team remain, uh, I think you would have liked that agreement. So uh, we'll see what happens next. The city of Oakland has not looked great with this whole lawsuit thing.
1: No, it has not. And my question would be, no matter what the deal is, no matter whether the terms, and you talk about you want it up front or you want it from years from now, you can sue all you want, but is there any scenario – that the city of Oakland has the money to buy the property from them.
4: I'm, You know what? Who knows? It's a little unlikely. Certainly they say they couldn't have paid it on demand. I guess they could have done it stretched out. I don't know if they could have even done it stretched out over seven years. I mean, typically cities pay for things in 20-, 30-year installments, which is why they're still paying down that debt from the, the Warriors and the Raiders. But if you add that debt on to the debt they already owe on the Warriors, Warriors and Raiders. Uh, That's a lot for Oakland to take on, and uh, we know Oakland, like any city, has a lot of other things that it really wants to prioritize when it comes to spending money, and probably should.
1: What did it mean to you when the commissioner stepped in and wanted to talk to Libby, wanted to talk to Kaplan, and kind of fired that shot across the bow, like, "Hey, listen, uh, there," and he brought one specific city in there, which was interesting. Brought up Las Vegas. What do you think that meant when the commissioner did that?
4: Well, I talked to the commissioner uh, before the wild card game. You know, he showed up really briefly before the wild card game, and he had just come from talking to Libby Schaaf and Rebecca Kaplan, and he was hot. He was clearly unhappy with them. Uh, And for him, the timing, too, was so bad, coming right before – you know, this big showcase moment for Oakland, a wild card game, the first playoff game in Oakland since 2006. And here he has to be answering questions about the city of Oakland suing the A's, in essence, uh, when the A's are trying to get, you know, a hundreds of millions of dollars stadium built within the city limits. Uh, he was unhappy. He didn't mention Vegas specifically by me to na- to me by name, but he did – Uh, in subsequent remarks, uh, talk about Vegas to other outlets, and, um, you know, it's the obvious. But he did flat out tell me, you know, if something can't get done, if this litigation doesn't go away, the city of Oakland might lose all of its sports teams. So he was hot, no question.
1: I can see the frustration that he has with Tampa is, you know, we were there recently, and we know the issue that... They were looking to go to Tampa, that fell through. Now St. Petersburg's, wants back in, but they don't have the money. Uh, the owner only wants to spend so much money on the building. So next, you know, they're floating at this half, half, Tan- half St. Pete, half Montreal. I can see the commissioner. I mean, he's. It sounds like he's at his his wits end with with the with with these two issues, which is the A's and the Rays. Yeah, he
4: would like to expand made that clear but he's not going to do it until these two teams have new stadiums that's number one on his agenda but they are both frustrating him so much that the saint pete thing with playing half the games in montreal how does that even work how does that work for all the people that cover the team full time that the players the support staff do they have to have apartments in both places like who can afford that I, how does that work? I mean, that just seems so unworkable. Maybe play a couple select series in Montreal. I guess you could do that. But you're asking a lot of people to live in two different places when so many of them already have another place, that they live in the offseason, too. It's just crazy. So uh, I don't see that as a really realistic idea. They need to either figure out if Tampa can play there, if Tampa Bay can play in that region, or if they should just flat out move to Montreal I think, Uh, and then, you know, yeah, go ahead, Danny.
1: I think what A's fans need to understand, and you and I have been very fortunate that we get to travel around the country and we get to go to these different cities. And one that just struck me was being in Minneapolis where I went over to Target field the day before the Raiders played the Vikings at U S bank stadium. And you look at their arena, you look at Target field, you know, not saying that there has to be taxpayer money, but the cities really have to help out. And I think that's one thing when we go to these towns, and recently in Indianapolis, and you look at their arena and you look at their football stadium, the towns have to play ball in some way to help these teams get these venues built that no question these venues are great for the community.
4: Yeah, I, I don't think there's any. And when you, you mentioned Target Field this one is one of among the newer stadiums, The only quibble I would have with it is they didn't add a roof, but you know they could. They only they had a limited budget, but man, they did everything else exactly right, and it's right in the heart of downtown. Uh, A wonderful job, and yes, there was a lot of civic involvement. You know, city, county, everybody chipped in to make that happen. Uh, Minimal obstruction, Uh, and I think that's what the A's and MLB would take right now is just don't put added layers of obstruction. You know. Help to the extent that you can. Maybe Oakland's a little limited in its ability to do that, but stop putting up roadblocks. Well,
1: and, and I read where people are, where there's certain council members where they say they have a hard time understanding the two property equation, where you use one property to help pay for the other. But this is exactly what Dave Cavill did in San Jose to help get a VIA stadium built.
4: Yeah, no, it's very practical. Um, and sure, you could probably argue as a taxpayer, like, hey, what are we doing giving a break on a price to a sports team that has a multi-billionaire owner? Okay, that's fair enough. But what's happening to the land if you don't do, it, do that? Nothing. They, they don't have a plan. They're not suggesting anything else. This is a plan that would provide low-income housing. SEAs a's have uh, repeatedly said uh, that's part of the lawsuit. By the way, they were you know, they're like, well, we need to be assured that it's providing low-income housing. It's right there in their plan. Uh, it would provide recreation, uh, development of an area that um, needs some more development and needs some options, and right next to public transportation. I think it's. Uh, It seems like a win-win for Oakland, even if the A's are getting it at a reduced rate. It's also helping the city and county pay down all that debt uh, that they'd accrued so they could then spend money on other things that they might want to spend on. So I don't see where that's a loss for the taxpayer. I understand that there are concerns about that, but I think there are far more positives than negatives.
1: How important is it for people who are the taxpayer? people who are taxpayers and they have to deal with paying off Mount Davis and they still have to pay off Oracle arena, the renovation. How important is for them to speak out and say, listen, this is what we want versus you putting up roadblocks, which in the end could potentially cause you to lose the team to where we've never seen a major city lose the NBA, the NFL and major league baseball in a very short time.
4: Yeah. Yeah. That would be really tragic. I mean, the commissioner's word was tragedy for the city of Oakland, and I I think he's right about that. We know the power of uh, what people can do when it comes to swaying public opinion on things like this. Uh, Part of the reason uh, that the A's wound up not Uh, at the Laney College site was because there was opposition in that area from people that worked at the college, from people that attended the college, and most important, from that neighborhood. Uh, And I think that's one of the reasons Laney College kind of called a halt to all of it was what they were hearing was primarily negative. Um, There needed to be more people going to those meetings and saying, hear all the positives. Uh, that definitely made a difference, that they were hearing only the negative. So, yeah, people need to get out and make their voices heard. Uh, I certainly know a lot of small business owners in Oakland have been very much in favor of the Howard Terminal Block Park because uh, they, they believe it would help spur some economic activity in there, that area. Uh, and you know, obviously Libby Schaff has been very much in favor for the same reasons, You know, helping take a part of Oakland that is not developed that's near Jack London Square could really revitalize uh, an area and also do a lot for those businesses at Jack London Square and and turn it into much more of a destination. Uh, There are a lot of opposing viewpoints on this. I wouldn't say that they're they're invalid. I think that they should be heard too, Uh, but certainly those people in favor of a stadium, whether at Howard Terminal or even at the existing Coliseum site, uh, if they care deeply about it, they should make their voices heard. And, of course, voting also helps, too.
1: She's also the author of 100 Things A's Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. Both these books, as we're getting close to the holidays, both of these books would make great Christmas gifts for any of your A's fans that you know that you have to get a gift for. A couple of baseball things about the athletics. What's the toughest move for them with the current roster this coming off season?
4: Uh, You know, it's interesting. I just um, wrote a a bunch about potential roster moves. I think everybody looks at second base and says they need to do something there. Uh, I'm not necessarily sure. I think, you know, they've got a lot of internal options. They will have to make some decisions come spring on the guys that are out of options, Barreto and Mateo. Dirksen Profar is under team control for another year. He brought some positives to go along with, you know, the disaster that was his defense. Uh, That's clearly an issue. They almost have too much of a good thing in the outfield, Um, and I wondered aloud uh, online yesterday whether they might move Steven Piscotti because Ramon Laureano came along so well and right. He just looked phenomenal there. Mark Canna obviously can play center well. Piscotti could be a nice piece to trade. I don't think anybody would like to see him go, right? He's local. I think people feel Very, um, you know, with the Piscotty family going through what they went through, I think people feel very invested emotionally in him and very understandable. But as a trade piece, he's had so many good seasons and he's signed to such a good contract he could bring back a significant amount if the A's wanted to do something. So uh, they've got a wealth of outfielders, and that could be something interesting they do. And then, you know, the, the rest, they they probably need some bullpen help like everybody, but uh, they're set in the rotation, Townie, and a lot of teams aren't.
1: What would be the biggest surprise move of the offseason for you?
4: What? Yeah, I think if they move Piscati, it certainly would be a surprise. You know, there'll be a few things that they do that won't be a surprise. You know, if they non-tender or trade Blake Trinan or Profar, I think that wouldn't be a surprise. If they go out and make a big splash in free agency, find like, uh, you know, a premier reliever, a setup guy, something like that, that might be a little bit of a surprise. Uh, Here's the surprise I would really like to see is a pricey long-term extension for Marcus Simeon. You and I have talked about that so much. I think that's the first order of business they need to do. But if they think that they can only sign one of the three guys that's going to be really expensive, Simeon, or one of the two, Mats. I think they go with Chapman. And then their window of contention potentially shrinks to how many years that Marcus Simeon has left. They could give him a qualifying offer after next year, so it might be two years, uh, but they might not do that. Um, And then what do you do at shortstop? So I I, I like it better if they sign Simeon right away.
1: And I I just can't imagine being around the A's for years to come and not having Matt Olson be here. I mean, Matt Olson, when it's all said and done, might have the best numbers of them all.
4: Yeah. I mean, you'd hate to see any of them go, but if you keep all three, you're talking about $400 plus. I can't see it. Can you?
1: Well, if we sell a lot of books for you and you put a little money into the club, we can make it happen.
4: 30 cents it is.
1: <laughs> so, so you're saying Garrett Cole's not coming here in the offseason is what you're saying.
4: I, You know, is that the way you're going with this? I, I, I would find that uh, very unlikely.
1: What, what, what did you take of uh, Joe Madden becoming the new manager of the Angels? I, I think we all thought it was going to happen. Uh, what do you think about it? And what do you think it does for him?
4: uh it's great for him it's such a homecoming i saw him posting photos on twitter with you know uh it looked like he was there in the 60s i know that's not the case but it was like some old-timey photos he's holding like his son when he was an infant in front of the 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 old anaheim you know billboards and before the stadium was redone that was really nice Uh, obviously has a long connection there uh probably what the team needs they had a tough tough year obviously they went through a lot and I think he is he works wonders with teams the first couple years he's there and I think that might be a good you know it's not going to be it's not going to make things easier for the A's. that's for sure
1: you got any book signings coming up
4: Ken Clark and I are working on doing something. Um, We don't have anything set up yet, but we will probably be trying to do something um, in December. We're looking to maybe do two different signings in in December. So I'll tweet about it, and I I think I'll put I've got a Facebook page for the book, uh, so we'll have information there when it happens, if and when it happens.
1: All right, Susan, you're the best. We'll talk to you soon.
4: Thanks, Tanny. I appreciate it. Talk to you later.
1: Yeah, we got to get this thing right. Just got to make this thing right and get the new ballpark built in 2023. Well, there's been rumors, a lot of rumors about the baseball this year. A lot of rumors about the ball during the regular season. Then we got the rumors that the baseball was different and has been different in the postseason, going from a juice ball to a ball not so juiced anymore. There was a great article on baseball prospectus written by Rob Arthur about the difference in the drag and everything with the baseball. And we had him here on A's unfiltered. Here is Rob Arthur. Rob Arthur joins us here. Rob, thank you so much for taking the time. Welcome to A's cast live with Chris Townsend.
5: Thanks for having me on.
1: So this conspiracy that's been going on, major league baseball buys into Rawlings Then we find out that the man that is the majority owner of the San Diego Padres, his company is the majority owner of Rawlings. So basically Rawlings 100% is owned by some type of entity that's connected to Major League Baseball. We've got record home runs. Then you put out the article, Baseball Prospectus, talking about how the ball has changed in the postseason. What is going on with this baseball I hold in my hand right now?
5: Well, uh, the bottom line is that it's totally different from the one that was used in the regular season in terms of its aerodynamic characteristics. So, essentially, we had this record-breaking home run year in 2019, and a lot of that was driven by the fact that the baseball was really aerodynamic. And so the drag coefficient on the ball that slows it down as it travels through the air, that was very low. So it was going further on well-hit fly balls. Um, in the postseason, though, uh, only a few games in, I immediately noticed there was this big difference in how it was performing. Suddenly, the drag coefficient on the ball shot up, and all these home runs that we've been seeing um, in the regular season, they started becoming warning track fly outs instead. And, of course, I wasn't the only person to notice this. I mean, I think pretty much everyone who's been watching postseason baseball has seen at least one of these, like, well-hit fly balls that – in the regular season definitely would have gone over and in the postseason it seems to just be harmless instead. So we saw that notably with like Will Smith in the Dodgers National Series thinking that he'd hit the walk-off and the entire Dodgers bench jumped out and uh, everyone was celebrating and then all of a sudden it, it just fell. And that's been kind of emblematic of the postseason as a whole. This baseball is just performing totally differently. Um, MLB denies it, but uh, the evidence is, from a scientific scientific perspective, it's remarkably clear.
1: Yeah, you just saw it in the last game with D.D. Gregorius and Maldonado where you're seeing these fly outs at Yankee Stadium at the, the short part of the park there and right field and left field. And I think, you know, the number one reaction, and I think you would agree with this, Rob, as you mentioned the Dodgers series and you even mentioned your article, Max Muncy, it's the reaction of the players, the hitters. Like, they hit it. They think it's gone. Even the pitchers think it's gone. And then there's just this sigh of relief from the defense. Like they're like, whoo, normally that's out of here. Now that's just a fly out.
5: Yeah, it is really remarkable to see that. I mean, baseball players are experts at this, right? They know what a home run feels like when it comes off their bat. They can feel the wind coming in and and they they know what, you know, what a typical fly ball is going to have, you know, what, what's going to happen to a typical fly ball. And so when you see them – Reacting off the bat, like oh, I just hit a home run. I'm excited, and then all of a sudden you have this counterintuitive behavior. That's a that's an indicator in and of itself that this ball is not playing the same. You've also seen this, by the way. I want to point out with outfielders. You've seen some really wild routes outfielders are taking because they're used to a ball that you know when it's hit with a certain exit velocity, it's going to go a certain distance, and so they start running backwards. And then you know it turns out that it's falling in front of them. For example, we've actually seen some plays like that. So it's, uh, it's having a material effects on the game in a lot of different ways.
1: So we have Dr. Meredith Wills from The Athletic on, and she actually is here in the Bay Area, and I've actually given her some baseballs to cut up. And so you, the way you're measuring, you're measuring the drag, but if I took the baseball from the regular season and a baseball from the postseason and I actually cut it open, would I find a difference?
5: Probably not. The thing about the drag is that, one, it can come from a lot of different sources, right? So the aerodynamics of the ball are really complicated because it has these seams, and it produces like a very complicated airflow around the ball. So there are a lot of different things that can impact that airflow. For example, the height of the seams is a big one. We've seen that before in the college baseball, for example. They, they change the height of the seams, and it influenced the, the drag and the, the flight of the ball. Um, but also like the surface roughness of the ball, the size of the ball, um, even one idea that's been floated by MLB is that the, whether the core is centered in the ball or not can make a big difference in the amount of drag that it experiences. Because if it's not centered, then the ball kind of wobbles around the, the core and it produces more drag. So all of these differences, though, it's important to note, they are so minuscule. You need to be a scientist like Meredith to actually sit down and um, very carefully and in a controlled way measure these different aspects. You know, when we're talking about the aerodynamic differences on the ball, we're talking about thousands of an inch, thousands of an inch on the seam height can make a big difference in the, in the airflow. So I don't think that you or I, if we picked up a baseball, would notice at all. Um, we would have to actually get out, the, get out the rollers, get out the calipers and all the things that Meredith uses, and we'd have to you know do some very careful analysis to figure it out. A major league pitcher, they might notice because, you know, they've been handling these balls for a long time and they know what a normal one should feel like. But um, for you or me, if we cut it up, if we felt it, um, I don't think we'd be able to, to pick up a difference immediately.
1: Well, obviously, we saw all the home runs, and everybody's hitting home runs and benefiting from it. I just think about some of the pitchers who had issues this year and where they saw their numbers fall off because certain things just weren't working for them, whether it's their normal slider, whether it's their sinker, whatever it is wasn't working I guess that would go down to drag too. And I think about some of these pitchers because quite a few of these guys are like, hey, listen, the thing I'm throwing is not the same that I was throwing last year.
5: Yeah, that's something that I wish we knew a little bit more about because all these different things that can influence aerodynamics can also influence how a pitcher grips the ball, right? So the seams being raised slightly might make a big difference to a guy who's like literally holding it in a certain way in order to generate a certain kind of spin or a certain uh, kind of movement on their breaking ball. And so um, I I do wonder, I wish that the players were a little bit more open with the, with the public and the press about are they feeling differences? But I think there's kind of a culture of, uh, well, this ball is affecting everyone and we're all playing with the same equipment. So even if it's flying out a lot more often, I shouldn't complain about it. But the truth is, I think a little bit more complicated than that. You know, the way that you grip the ball might be more affected by seam height, for example, um, for you than for Max Scherzer or for another pitcher. And so um, these things I I do think could have a a big influence on particular guys.
1: So I'm not sure what the rule is, and I don't know what's in the CBA. I, I have no idea. Does baseball have the right, and I don't even know if you've researched this, does baseball have the right to change the equipment in the game during the season? So
5: I should I should caveat this by saying that I'm not a lawyer, but my understanding having talked to some people who are, is that they don't they don't have that right that um, any changes to the baseball have to be collectively bargained. They have to actually run them by the players and get them approved by the players. I know that Manfred has said differently in the past. he's said that they have the right to essentially do whatever they want with the baseball. I, I don't think that's true, and I think that the players have kind of a legal case here to, um, you know, make a big make a big stink, make a scandal out of this if they wanted to. Um, so, I, I do wonder, you know, what's going on on their end because certainly if I was one of the players that was impacted um, to a large extent by this, I would I would certainly be talking to my union rep and wondering whether we could file agreements about this.
1: It almost sounds like they're going to have to get into a room in the off season and really come down, you know, however, who designs baseballs at, with Rawlings is going to have to sit down and have parameters. Cause I'm pretty sure, you know, I also work in the NFL. Uh, I can, I'm pretty sure every NFL ball is the same. Now certain balls get pumped up more. They're kicking balls, but for the most part, every basketball is the same. Every puck's the same in hockey. I think we're going to have to get down to this, don't you think, this offseason to say, hey, we need one ball. We need the same ball manufactured over and over and over again.
5: Yeah, I think it's really surprising to have seen the way that Rawlings and MLB have responded to this. Because, first of all, their move was to kind of deny, deny, deny. And then eventually they hired this committee that was supposed to study the the baseball and, and tell us what had changed about it, if anything. And the committee actually confirmed some of my initial findings and I think some of Meredith's findings that um, the ball was, was different aerodynamically. And they gave NLB some recommendations about what to do about that. And now that NLB owns Rawlings, there's really no excuse for them not to follow those rec- recommendations. And yet they haven't. I mean, one of the basic recommendations, and this, this shouldn't be too complicated to follow, is that you need to be testing the baseballs for how aerodynamic they are when they come off the assembly line. So before they ever get into a baseball game, They should be being tested, which apparently Rawlings wasn't doing um, ever at any point. And so the committee said, hey, you should be doing this. Um, That way you'll know if the baseballs are suddenly different in some important way. And I would have thought that MLB would follow that recommendation. But apparently, based on what they've said and based on the data that they've released or not released, rather, they haven't. So, you know, they they should have been doing this a long time ago. It's really a study In contrast, when you compare this to a sport like golf, where the makers of golf balls uh, study the balls uh, aerodynamically, how they fly, how their manufacturing process affects their aerodynamics. And it's almost unbelievable that, you know, baseball is such a, it's a game that's so dependent on how the baseball flies, right? And it's, it's almost unbelievable that Rawlings and that MLB wouldn't have invested some time and some energy and some resources to this point into thinking carefully about how these baseballs are made and how they can change. And yet, that's not what we've seen. So I certainly hope that this is the off season that they that they really get their act together and, and put in that time and effort. But based on their reaction, even just to the postseason so far, um, it's still been the same line of kind of denial and saying that the baseballs are the same, are pulled from the same batches as the ones that were made in the regular season, rather than engaging with the evidence and saying, you know, we're looking into this and we'll figure out what the problem is and uh, we're hoping to remedy this by next season.
1: Rob, that's the most ridiculous thing I have ever heard that they're making baseballs and they didn't test. As you mentioned, when you start looking at golf, and I've mentioned this because my brother is a teaching pro down in San Diego and talk about using technology. And, you know, baseball just started using TrackMan a few years ago. Down in Titleist at Carlsbad and just outside of San Diego, they've been using TrackMan since the early 90s to late 80s. Now, obviously, they're creating equipment that they're going to sell. So they've always needed technology to tell the consumer how good their product was to where baseball, you're using equipment for the players. But the fact that it'd be like telling me, Title Titleist is making Pro V1s. No one ever goes out and hits them. They never go out and test it. They never put it on the Iron Byron to see how it performs. They just make them and put them in boxes and sell it. That's just crazy to think that baseball would not even test their own product they're putting in major league games.
5: Yeah, it's it's totally wild. I mean, Titleist is a good example. I think uh, if I'm remembering right, I believe they have uh, at least one person at the company whose sole job is to monitor the aerodynamics of the balls they make. And as far as I'm aware, there's no similar person at Rawlings. Certainly, there was no one doing the testing, according to the committee's report. Um, There was nobody putting these balls in wind tunnels. There was nobody even doing the simplest thing that you could do, which is the kind of analysis I did, looking at how the balls are actually performing from year to year. If there had been someone, I think maybe they would have flagged it as a problem. Like one ball compared to the next ball, it's a very different aerodynamic, has very aerodynamic. Very different aerodynamic properties to the point that, you know, two different balls could be flying, you know, 10, 20, 30 feet further or less far, depending on the aerodynamic properties of that particular ball. So there was always a problem here. It just never resulted in these large scale, massive changes in home run rate until recently. And unfortunately, when you don't put in that put in that work to begin with, to have someone monitoring aerodynamics, this is what happens. It comes back to bite you.
1: Well, the good thing is we've got baseball still left, no matter what the ball is. How do you see the next four games between the Astros and the Yankees?
5: So I guess uh, you're putting me on the spot here, but I guess the Astros, um, they're, so, they're they're pretty evenly matched, I have to say. Um, and the only edge is just based on how the Astros have been playing the last couple of games. I mean, they're two great teams, um, two great lineups, and I just think the the Astros are almost – Overpowering, and they're going up against a really good team in the Yankees, but the Astros just are, have another gear that they can get into, and I think we've seen that. And So I think they'll probably pull it out, and I think they'll probably stop the Nationals in the World Series. But, you know, it's so hard to predict baseball. I would have thought the Dodgers would have won too, so I don't have a good track record this postseason.
1: Keep up doing the great work and keeping baseball on their toes, and we'll be reading you in baseball perspectives, and enjoy the rest of the playoffs in the World Series.
5: All right, thank you.
1: I hope we're all wrong on the baseball. I really, really do because I just don't like the idea of changing equipment between the regular season and the postseason. And then once we get into the offseason, figure out parameters and have everybody agree on it and make the baseball that way so it's accurate and everybody knows that – no matter what game you're playing, we're all playing with the same baseball. We want to thank Frank Thomas. We want to thank Jared Parker, Susan Slesser, and Rob Arthur for joining us on A's Cast. And thank you for listening to A's Unfiltered right here on A's Cast, powered by TuneIn.
0: This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.